there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Lady Dudley, you rang? Mrs. Picto, taste this pudding. My lady? Please, taste it. Something is wrong. My lady, you just need some sleep. Your mind is too occupied these days. I'll get Sir Richard. No, no, I don't want to talk to Sir Richard. What seems to be the matter, Lady Dudley? Finding fault with your food again? I'm fine, sir. My cook cannot seem to please you. Thank you for your hospitality, but I've decided to leave. Leave? What would your husband think of that? That's none of your concern. Good day, sir. Mrs. Picto? Yes, my lady? I do believe they're trying to poison me. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a podcast original. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unsolved Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. This is our second episode on the mysterious death of Amy Robsart. She was married to Robert Dudley, the man many historians believe was the only true love of Queen Elizabeth I. Last week, we looked at Robert and the Queen's intense relationship and how it spawned rumors of a plot against Robert's wife. This week, we'll examine Amy's sudden death its impact on her husband and the queen, and the evidence that suggests Amy's death was anything but accidental. In 1560, 27-year-old Queen Elizabeth I was the most eligible bachelorette in all of Europe. Earls, kings, and archdukes all made proposals, but she wasn't interested in any man. Except for one. 28-year-old Robert Dudley. He was handsome, athletic, and charismatic. As the Queen's master of the horse, he went riding and hunting with the Queen nearly every day, and soon their intense friendship 
was provoking comment all over the court. It was obvious to those around them that the two were falling in love. Eventually, gossip turned to the question of whether they would marry. And there was only one problem. Robert already had a wife. Amy Robsart was 28, beautiful, and rarely seen. She stayed in the country, moving from one friend's home to another with a small group of servants. Ten years into their marriage, she and Robert had no children and saw each other only a handful of times a year. Now staying at a friend's home called Cumner Place, Amy Robsart became little more than a technicality as Robert and the Queen spent almost all their waking minutes together. While we have no way of knowing how romantically involved the two were, some historians believe that some kind of physical intimacy was going on. The Queen's advisors grew worried. On Sunday, September 8, 1560, the Queen's closest advisor, Secretary of State William Cecil, approached the Spanish ambassador, Bishop de la Quadra. Ambassador, I come to you asking for help. Speak to the Queen. Let her know what a mistake she is making. Of course, Secretary. But about what? This obsession with Lord Dudley. He's made himself Lord of all her affairs and even the Queen herself. If she marries him, and it looks like she will, it will bring shame and ruin upon her throne. But how can they marry? He has a wife. Haven't you heard? They mean to destroy her. They say she is sick, but she isn't. She's well and protecting herself from poison. I pray to God that he would never allow such a wicked deed to be accomplished. Of course, you won't tell anyone what I'm saying. Of course not, Secretary. De La Quadra immediately began writing the King of Spain to tell him the latest, when he heard some shocking news. Robert's wife, Amy, had been found dead. On September 8, 1560, servants found Amy lying at the foot of a curved staircase, killed by a fall. Her neck was broken, but there seemed to be no other marks or bruises on her body. Also, the staircase was only eight steps high. The residents of Cumner Place sent a servant on horseback to notify Robert at Windsor Castle. On the way, the servant ran into one of Robert's household officers named Thomas Blunt. Blunt was already on his way to Cumner, for unknown reasons. The servant told Blunt about Amy's death, then he pressed on to Windsor, where he met with Lord Dudley himself. Lord Dudley, sir. Who are you? Name is Bo, sir. I've been sent by Cumner Place with some news. Your wife is dead. Dead? By a fall, sir. From a staircase. Did anyone see this? I don't know, sir. Who was with her? I don't know, sir. You don't know? In shock, Dudley fired off a letter to Blunt. The greatness and suddenness of the misfortune doth so perplex me, that until I hear from you how the matter stands, or how this evil should light upon me, Considering what the malicious world will gossip, I can have no rest. Do not lie to me or hide anything from me, but send me your true opinion of the matter, whether it happened by evil chance or by villainy. Robert, aware of the gossip at court, immediately suspected foul play. He asked Blunt to speak to the coroner himself and personally oversee jury selection for the inquest. But Blunt didn't go directly to Cumner Place. Even though he was only a few miles away, 
he stopped for the night at a nearby inn to hear what was being said about Amy's death. Another pint of ale. Yes, sir. What news is there of the area? I've come from Windsor. There's been great misfortune within three or four miles of here. Lady Dudley is dead. How? By a fall, sir. Down a pair of stairs. This seems strange. By a fall? Was this an accident? Some are disposed to say so, and some not. When Blunt finally reached Cumnor Place on Tuesday, September 10th, two days after her death, the inquest was already underway. Too late to help select the jury, he personally interviewed some of the members of the household, like Amy's maid, Mrs. Picto. Mrs. Picto, I know you were very close to Lady Dudley. I was, sir. So I have to ask, do you believe her death was caused by chance or by foul play? Chance, sir. Neither done by man nor by herself. If it were done by herself? What exactly do you mean by that? Nothing. Just that Lady Dudley was a good, virtuous woman. Many times I heard her pray to God to deliver her from her desperation. Desperation? Did she have a dangerous idea in her mind? No. If that's how you understand what I said, then I am sorry I said so much. Without meaning to, Mrs. Picto had brought up the possibility of suicide. Suicide was the ultimate taboo. No well-born woman in the 16th century killed herself. Blunt seemed so shocked by the idea that he could barely broach it in a letter to Robert. I've only been here a little while, sir. But I have heard tales of your wife that make me judge her to be a strange woman of mind. We don't know for certain how Robert may have responded to this insinuation. As Robert struggled to find out exactly what happened to his wife, the Queen dealt with her own shock over Amy's sudden death. Let no one allow Lord Dudley at court. Yes, Your Majesty. If this is indeed foul play, then he will most certainly be accused. My poor Robert. Your Majesty, be careful. I already said I won't see him. Are they close to reaching a verdict? Not yet, Your Majesty. I need to know the moment there's news. Robert resented being kept away from court. He also knew better than to try to go to Cumnor Place. He didn't want to risk appearing as if he was trying to influence the investigation. He asked Amy's half-brother, John Appleyard, to go in his place. With each passing moment, Robert grew more paranoid. After two years of acting like an unmarried man, his wife was finally gone under very suspicious circumstances. He knew how this looked. Plus, he'd alienated most of the Queen's advisors. If this got worse, he'd have nobody in his corner. But then, he got a visit from an unexpected ally. I'll see nobody. My lord, Secretary of State William Cecil is here. My heart goes out to you, young man. To lose one's wife in such a senseless way, it's unimaginable. Do they know what happened? She fell and broke her neck. The inquest will reveal more. Let's hope and pray that this is resolved soon. The Queen, does she talk about me? 
My lord? Does she remark on me? Will she ever want to see me again? Let's see how events come to pass. I know that I haven't always been your favorite, Secretary. But I've never replaced, could never replace, you in the Queen's mind. The following day, Friday, September 13th, Thomas Blunt informed Robert via letter that the jury would likely rule Amy's death an accident. The jury is very secret. And yet I do hear that they can find no presumptions of evil. With everything I learn, I'm persuaded that only misfortune has done it, and nothing else. Little is known about the actual investigation. It would be almost a year until the jury gave its official verdict. The reasons for this still aren't clear to this day. All Robert could do now was give his wife an elaborate funeral on September 22, 1560. Amy was buried at the Church of Our Lady in Oxford. He spared no expense, but he didn't attend. The Queen did not attend either. After the funeral, Robert was still haunted by his wife's death. Your Majesty? You wanted to see me? Yes. If they convene another jury, I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, I see you no differently. Lady Dudley's death is a misfortune, but it is behind us. It may be behind you, Your Majesty, but not for me. I know what people whisper. I know what they think. As soon as the jury has given its verdict, I hope to convene another. But why? To learn the truth. I... We have already learned the truth. It was an accident. Let it be. To the Queen, it was of the utmost importance for her and her favorite courtier that life get back to normal. Though for Robert, it never did. Coming up, we'll see how Amy's death left a cloud of suspicion over Robert that would eventually change history. Now back to the story. By October of 1560, Amy Robsart's death had been deemed an accident. Her husband Robert had escaped any imputation of guilt or responsibility. Now there was nothing standing in the way of his pursuit of the Queen, besides the Queen's own feelings on the matter. On one hand, she seemed more in love with Robert than ever before. But on the other, she started to treat him more as a fun distraction than as a future husband. Her feelings had been tested during the inquest, when she didn't know exactly how much he had been involved in his wife's death. There were other problems, too. Robert wasn't a peer, and he most certainly wasn't a royal. His wife's death had done little to make him more well-liked at court. And now, as a single man and totally available, he may not have seemed quite as attractive as before. Whether or not Robert sensed any of this is unclear. He did press the queen to make him a duke or an earl, perhaps as a sign of her love for him. In November of 1560, she was about to comply. All rise for Her Majesty. Lord Dudley, approach the throne. Yes, Your Majesty. I have here your letters of patent for your new title. Unroll the scrolls so he can see. Thank you, your majesty. Someone bring me a knife. 
<laughs> Your Majesty, what are you doing? Slicing these patents in half. We have had enough of traitorous Dudleys at court. We don't need any more. Why are you doing this to me? Everybody is looking. Because you need to understand, Lord Dudley. I will not be rushed. To make matters worse, gossip had spread to mainland Europe that Robert and Elizabeth had colluded in murder. The English ambassador, Nicholas Throckmorton, couldn't believe the talk at the French court. He was so worried that in November 1560, he sent his secretary, Robert Jones, to speak to the queen personally. Your Majesty, I have to make you aware that there is talk. What now? The Venetian and Spanish ambassadors are spreading the rumor that you are about to marry Lord Dudley. Is that why you made your trip? It is quite a serious matter. They allege that you had a hand in the death of his wife. The matter has been tried. It was found to be contrary to that which was reported. Well, even so, your majesty. Lord Robert was at court when his wife died, and none of his people were present at the attempt at his wife's house. Attempt? What attempt? To this day, nobody quite understands what prompted Queen Elizabeth to use the word attempt. Some think that her slip of the tongue revealed her complicity in Amy's murder. In any event, Elizabeth never doubted Robert's innocence. Their closeness continued, but little by little it became clear that the Queen was no longer interested in marriage, to him or anyone. She did make Robert the Earl of Leicester in September of 1564, but every once in a while she needed to rein him in. Even her favorite could get on her nerves. Bring the Earl of Leicester before me at once. Yes, Your Majesty? How dare you bully one of my servants and threaten to have him dismissed? Uh, Your Majesty? Just because you cannot run headlong into my quarters as if they are yours. Your Majesty, please. God's death, my lord. I have wished you well. But my favor is not so locked up in you that others shall not participate thereof. And if you think to rule here, I will take a course to see you forthcoming. I will have here but one mistress and no master. For the rest of her reign, Elizabeth would stay single and eventually become known as the Virgin Queen. For his part, Robert stayed loyal to Elizabeth and was content to remain her favorite. But around 1570, he began a relationship with a widow named Lady Douglas Sheffield. In 1574, she gave birth to Robert's son. Robert did remarry in 1578, but not to Lady Douglas Sheffield. Instead, he chose as his wife a woman named Lettuce Knowles, whose first husband, the Earl of Essex, had died under mysterious circumstances two years earlier. The two had a son named Robert Dudley Lord Denby, Finally, Robert had a legitimate heir, but in 1584, when the little boy was only three years old, he died. Robert and Lettuce were overtaken with grief at the loss of their child. And just when Robert reached his lowest point, he was hit with another blow. In September of 1584, just a few months after the death of his son, 
Robert received a letter from the Queen's advisor, Francis Walsingham. My very good lord, yesterday I received from the Lord Mayor a printed libel against your lordship, the most malicious written thing that was ever penned since the beginning of the world. It was malicious indeed. The pamphlet, entitled Leicester's Commonwealth, was an all-out attack against Robert Dudley. It drew on every known, and speculated upon, event of Robert's life to paint him as a ruthless, power-hungry, sexually insatiable monster. The anonymous writer also accused Robert of murder. According to the tract, he'd poisoned scores of people, including his new wife's first husband, the Earl of Essex. But the most damning accusation of all was that he'd ordered the murder of his first wife, Amy Robsart. The person responsible was supposedly one of his most trusted officers, Sir Richard Verney. Sir Richard Verney was a member of Robert's inner circle and one of his most dependable wingmen. He'd actually hosted Amy at his house, Compton Verney, for a few months in 1559. According to the pamphlet, Robert had instructed Verney to poison Amy, and if that didn't work, than to kill her another way. When Amy finally died by falling down the stairs, Verney was responsible, though he'd recruited an unnamed accomplice as the actual killer. Well, Verney had died years before, and the accomplice was also said to have died in prison, making the story impossible to verify. Robert didn't make a public statement, but he didn't need to. The Queen was so incensed by Lester's Commonwealth that she ordered all copies to be turned into the court and destroyed. The Queen proclaims that anyone in possession of Leicester's Commonwealth hereby surrender their copy to the authorities on pain of imprisonment. Unfortunately, the ban only served to make the pamphlet more popular. In private, Robert fumed. I have too many enemies. Too many people who want to see me destroyed. This is as much an attack on me as it is on you. You do know that the accusations about my previous wife aren't true. You need not convince me. You know that I have never doubted you. Nobody ever came forward to claim authorship of Lester's Commonwealth. Robert never publicly refuted its claims. Nor did someone else, a doctor, who the pamphlet said had been approached to treat Amy for depression before her death. According to the pamphlet, Amy refused to take any medication given to her by her housemates because she suspected they were poisoning her. When they called in a doctor by the name of Dr. Bailey to examine her, he declined to treat her for fear that any medicine he prescribed would be blamed for killing her. Dr. Bailey was alive and well at the time Lester's Commonwealth was published and could have called the story a fiction. But he didn't. Historians have taken note of this fact, and it's provided a backbone of truth to the story, even if most of the accusations in the pamphlet are now considered to be blatantly false. After the libel blew over, Robert's remaining years were short. He began to have intestinal problems that some historians believe was stomach cancer. While on his way to Buxton to bathe in medicinal waters, he grew ill. On September 4th, 1588, he died at 56. Queen Elizabeth was inconsolable. She shut herself up in her private rooms and refused to come out for days. Your Majesty, please, 
We know you are devastated, but we need you to attend to the state's business. Walsingham, what should we do? We must break down the door, Cecil. Two months after Robert's death, courtiers noticed that the queen had aged. She looked tired and spent. Elizabeth would live another 15 years, but no man would ever take Robert's place. She died in March of 1603 at the age of 69. Robert's last letter to her was found on her bedside table. The two wound up being star-crossed lovers, prevented from marriage by the one thing that was supposed to finally bring them together. It seems that Amy Robsart had the last word, even in death. Coming up, we dive into the theories about what actually caused Amy's death and look at new evidence that may reveal her true murderer. And now, back to the story. When Robert Dudley passed away in 1588, his reputation had been sullied by Lester's Commonwealth, a libelous pamphlet that accused him of murder. Today, it's largely assumed to have been written by Charles Arundel. Arundel was a member of the English nobility who lived in Paris at the time. His father had been executed under the reign of King Edward VI, while Robert's father, the Duke of Northumberland, had been in power. Needless to say, Arundel hated Robert Dudley and wanted to see him destroyed. But despite its obvious slant, the pamphlet had a level of detail about Amy's murder that can't be overlooked. It clearly states that Sir Richard Verney, one of Dudley's men, was responsible for Amy's death and that her killing was carried out on Robert's orders. So where did Arundel, the supposed author of Leicester's Commonwealth, get his information? For centuries, nobody knew. But in 1978, a journal was found in the British Library that seems to be his main source. The writer was anonymous, but appeared to have first-hand knowledge of court happenings during the years of King Edward's reign, up to about 1562. This was a full 25 years before Arundel came out with his accusations. In the journal, the unidentified writer describes the murder of Lady Dudley occurring on the day of a fair. He plainly states that Sir Richard Verney was in Cumnor that day. Verney went to the fair and waited for the deed to be done by an accomplice. The journal also mentions that Lord Dudley's wife left one of her residences early out of a fear of being poisoned and that this fear motivated her many moves between 1559 and 1560. This would provide evidence to back up the many rumors at court that Amy was being poisoned. But if this were the case, was Robert Dudley behind it? In his book, Death and the Virgin Queen, historian Chris Skidmore raises the possibility that Robert's men may have been poisoning Amy on their own. It wasn't unusual at the time for a nobleman's officers to take matters into their own hands when it came to advancing their boss's careers. But before we conclude that Amy was in fact murdered, we must re-examine the inquest that began the day after her death on September 9th, 1560. For years, the coroner's report was missing. All we knew was that Amy's death was deemed an accident, but there was no documentation to prove it. Finally, in 2008, the report turned up in a file in the National Archives in England. What it revealed was shocking. 
For one, the jury had not actually reached an official verdict until August of 1561, almost one year after Robert heard that they would deem her death an accident. And two, Amy actually did have wounds on her body, deep ones on her head. The coroner found two distinct wounds on her scalp, one of them two inches deep. Now, it's possible that these may have been caused by a collision with a stair, but the wording in the report seems to imply otherwise. It uses the term dense to describe Amy's head injuries, which was a word used at the time for wounds made by a weapon. This implies that the jury may have believed Amy was struck by something and essentially murdered before she fell, but they may not have had enough evidence to prove it. Because we know so little about the jury's investigation, it's impossible to know for sure. All we're left with are several theories which may explain Amy's death. Those are accident, natural causes, suicide, and murder. The accident theory is, of course, the official reason, but today it's hard to prove. Cumner Place and its curved staircase were torn down in the early 1800s. Historian Chris Skidmore reconstructs the staircase based on a 19th-century description of the house and a drawing of the stairs. Based on both of these sources, he describes the stairs as curved around a supporting beam, set into two tiers and broken up by a landing in the middle. The bottom set of stairs was said to be no more than eight steps high. Could Amy have fallen down eight steps and died? Possibly. Falls are the third leading cause of accidental death in the U.S. after poisonings and car accidents. Even though a curved staircase with a landing in the middle is reportedly safer than a straight staircase down, they still can cause bad falls. Skidmore also states that the majority of falls begin on the top three stairs, which would make a staircase of even a dozen steps dangerous. Well, then there's the natural causes theory. Did Amy die while she was walking down the steps from an illness or disease? Some have theorized that she had an aortic aneurysm, others that she had breast cancer. One theory, put forth by a Scottish professor of surgery in 1956, suggests that breast cancer may have made Amy's bones and spine extremely brittle and fragile. With her bones in this state, the pressure on her neck caused by walking downstairs may have made her neck bone fracture all on its own. Some cancer patients also suffer from a condition called hypercalcemia, in which extreme high levels of calcium in the blood cause fatigue, agitation, and loss of balance. This would explain Amy's agitated behavior on the day of her death, and why Ambassador de Feria wrote the King of Spain that Amy had a malady in her breast. But there's no evidence that she actually had breast cancer. With that in mind, the most accepted theory is suicide. For this, we don't have to look much further than the words of Amy's maid, Mrs. Picto. Blunt never asked the maid whether she thought Amy committed suicide. She basically volunteered that she had. Suicide is a reasonable theory, given the fact that Amy must have been aware of the gossip about Robert and the Queen. But one of the few letters written by Amy that survives today is addressed to her tailor. In the letter written about two weeks before her death, she asks him to make her a gown with as much speed as you can. 
and spells out exactly how it should look. Historians point to this letter to cast doubt on the suicide theory. But would someone so religious as Amy have committed suicide? It really was a last resort for people living in the 1500s, not to mention a sin that would have sent her, in her mind, straight to hell. Lastly, there's the belief that Amy was murdered. Clearly, this was a popular opinion at the time, but most historians discount the theory that Robert ordered her death. It's clear from the letters he wrote in the direct aftermath that he was genuinely shocked. And the queen, it's widely held, was too smart to order Amy's death herself. She would have known that the scandal surrounding her and Robert would only intensify. So, who could be responsible? In her book, The Life of Elizabeth I, historian Alison Weir points a finger at William Cecil, Elizabeth's Secretary of State. Well, we know from his letters that he hated Robert Dudley and was terrified that Elizabeth would actually marry him. He also took the unusual step of confiding in the Spanish ambassador that he was planning on resigning, out of disgust over the Queen and Robert's plotting. The same day, Amy was found dead. In Weir's view, Cecil could have hired someone to go to Cumnor Place, sneak in while everybody was gone, given Amy a few blows to the head, and then pushed her down the stairs. All while planting the idea in De La Quadra's mind that the Queen and Robert were responsible. Whether or not he was the one who ordered Amy's death, Cecil did get his wish, an end to Robert's relationship with the Queen. So, now that we have all of the evidence, let's look at which theory makes the most sense. I'm thinking that suicide is the most reasonable explanation. Neglected wife, her husband having an affair with the queen, plus her belief that she was being poisoned and lied to about it. There's also the fact that she ordered everyone out of the house before she died. I'm going to say that Amy Robsart threw herself down the stairs. I'm going to say it was murder. The journal from the British Library and Leicester's Commonwealth both share the same detailed story. It's possible that Robert had no idea that his own men were trying to poison his wife. When poison didn't work, they finished the job with blunt trauma to the head and pushed her down the stairs. Whatever happened, one thing is clear. Amy Robsart's death left a huge impact on history. If she hadn't died in such a suspicious way, it's possible that Queen Elizabeth may have not been the Virgin Queen. Robert Dudley would have been free to marry her. Amy Robsart's death has been fictionalized throughout the years, starting with Sir Walter Scott's classic novel, Kenilworth, published in 1821. Today, the mystery is hotly debated on history websites by Tudor aficionados. Adding to the intrigue is the fact that Amy Robsart's remains have simply disappeared. In 1947, workers pulled up the floor of the church where Amy was buried. But all they found was evidence that her grave had been filled in with brick and mortar. Just like the truth of Amy's fate, her body has been literally lost to history. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. 
We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Robert Dudley and Queen Elizabeth, amongst the many sources we used, we found Death and the Virgin Queen by Chris Skidmore to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Unsolved Murders, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unsolved Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Unsolved Murders in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Joanna Philbin, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Susanna Corrington, Dan Velasquez, Joe Hernandez, Mike Capozzi, and Harris Markson. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Unsolved Murders.